But I want you to read in your Bibles with me. I want this to be a good Bible study for us this morning. And I want you to understand some very important truths that have come to us through Jesus Christ. As you're turning there and getting ready, the title of this message is Moses will not get you there. Moses will not get you there. And I just want that to resonate within your spirit. In Acts 6, beginning in verse 11, it says, um, this, this is talking about Paul's ministry. And it says that there were crafty men who were bringing this charge against Paul. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him, caught him, brought him to the council. They set up false witnesses, which said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. Well, Moses didn't speak blasphemous words against the holy place. And he didn't speak blasphemous words against the law or against Moses. But he did speak of what had come to us through Jesus Christ. And it says, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. So I want you to go to chapter 13 of Acts and I want you to see a little bit more detail in this. And he tells us if you will begin in verse 38, this is Paul's message. He's preaching actually. And he says this, be it known unto you, therefore... Men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, by Jesus, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, Paul was not blaspheming the law of Moses. And he was not blaspheming the temple or Moses. But he was initiating the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Which the Jews took offense to because they thought he was being disrespectful of Moses and the law. But Paul is saying that Jesus has come. And what the law could not do for us, Jesus has done for us. He has justified us from all things. Verse 40, beware therefore, lest that come upon you which was spoken in the prophets. And he talks about these things that could come, how they would despise these things of God. You despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought him that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Hallelujah. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And let me tell you, those people are still in the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying they are the church, but they're in the church. They stand against the new covenant. They stand against the justification that we have through Jesus Christ. But blessed are those who believe. Verse 48 And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Verse 52. 
And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you, that is the fruit of grace. That is the fruit of the gospel, joy and the Holy Ghost. And that is the evidence of this new covenant. In chapter 15 of Acts, verse 21, he tells us this. He says, for Moses of old time has in every city them that preach him. Being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. And so this is just a comment that I wanted you to see because as, as they're writing here in the book of Acts throughout that region of the world, every week somebody was preaching Moses and somebody was reading from Moses. And so Moses, what I want you to see had no shortage of preachers. Do you understand? I just want you to get this, that people preached Moses. Do you understand that? It's right there in Acts 15, 21. And I, that, that's very important because today in pulpits all across America, people are preaching Moses who cannot justify you. He cannot get you there. Only Jesus Christ can. And this is so important for us to understand. Now, what I want to do, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. What I want to do here is I want to just show you um, the necessity of Jesus Christ. And I have out of necessity, I feel the need to just present to you the fact that Jesus Christ is better than Moses. And that is an offense to people who preach Moses. They get really buckled up by that, just like the Jews in Paul's day that were very upset and envious when Paul preached Jesus and not Moses, because Paul did not preach Moses. He didn't blaspheme Moses, but he didn't preach him because there was something better now than Moses. There was a justification now. And so I think it is important for us to understand that Jesus is better than Moses and though we do love Moses, and, and many people do that, we must understand that Jesus Christ is supreme. And Moses can't get you there, but Jesus can. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, it says this of Jesus, For this man, speaking of Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who has builded the house has more honor than the house. So Jesus is worth, worthy of more honor than Moses. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, we understand that if people did not listen to Moses, they would suffer God's wrath. Well, what about the Son of God? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28, it says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God, and has counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and has done despite to the Spirit of grace. And so if if there was a judgment that was brought against those who despised Moses' law, and if Jesus is better than Moses, then how much sore punishment do you suppose people will have who despise Jesus' grace? All right, and that, that's what he's saying there. And so Jesus is better than Moses. I, th- I would hope and assume that all of us are okay with that. Jesus is better than Moses. Um, in John chapter 5, I want you to see this. A very important passage of scripture that we have in verse 46. John 5, 
46 and it says, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. And indeed, Moses did write of Jesus, and he prophesied of Jesus, and he was a type, and he brought types of Jesus Christ. And Moses rejoiced in Jesus' day. Moses would even agree with us, Jesus is better than me. And Jesus' covenant is better than the old covenant. Moses would definitely affirm that. In chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, we have this in verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him. And cried saying this was he of whom I spoke. That he that comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received. And grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Do you see? Moses indeed brought something. He brought the law. But Jesus brought something different. Jesus brought something that Moses did not bring. And Jesus brought us grace and truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If you're under Moses, you shall know the law, and the law shall condemn you. But if you're under Jesus, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And there is grace. There is grace for everyone. And so no man has seen God at any time. Only the begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So Jesus Christ is the Son that has come out of the bosom of the Father. He's the begotten Son of God. He's come into the world. He's better than Moses. Through his covenant, he is able to do for us what Moses in his covenant could not do. Because the law cannot justify you. But Jesus Christ can justify us. And he can make us right with God. And so, I just think, I hope you understand the importance of this. Because I want us to go now to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 20. And and we're just going to begin to get our feet wet with some of this. But I want you to understand these things about Moses. First of all, let me talk about Moses for just a minute. He's an exceptional man. He's an exceptional believer. I honestly believe that Moses was a man of grace. I believe that Moses was a man who understood grace and he loved grace. I believe that Moses lived most of his life under grace. And till he was 80 years old, he was introduced to the covenant of the law that God would assign to him to give to the nation of Israel. Moses didn't come up with it. God gave it to him. And and I'll just throw this out to you. It's another study and a message I've done before. But I would say this to you, when Moses came down from the mountain and they were worshiping the golden calf, he broke that law to keep people under grace. Because had he brought that law at that moment when all of these people are worshiping a false god, every one of them would have been killed by the justice of God. So Moses broke it to keep it under grace. He would go back up into the mountain and he would be given the law again, this time in a covenant of provision through sacrifice 
sacrifices and through washings and through ceremonies and the Ark of the Covenant. And so these things would be given to Moses. So I believe Moses was a man of grace. He was a man of noble character. He was a great leader, a great preacher, a great administrator, a man of immense mental stature. One of the few men in all of history that actually spoke face to face with God. I mean, of all the men that have ever lived, he is certainly one of the top men that have ever walked across the face of this earth and was intimate with the Lord. So I take nothing from him as a person, but just the fact that he is a human like us. He committed murder. There were other sins that he committed in his life. And so he's not divine. He's not without sin. He's not, you know, without the need of a savior himself, but he is a great, great man and a great man of God and a great leader of God. And in all of these qualities of his life, God uses him to establish and to enact what we call the old covenant that was established with the nation of Israel. And there was a time when Israel was in its journey with the wilderness and it was in need of water. And God told Moses he was to take his rod and he was to go and strike the rock. And Moses struck the rock and out of that rock that was following them gushed out a river of water, literally. I mean, it wasn't like a water fountain. It was feeding millions of people and animals. So it was just like a river of water gushes out of this rock after Moses was told to strike it. And he struck. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that that rock was Christ. And so the rock was a symbol of Jesus Christ. Now, in Numbers 20, in verse 3, you find another episode where Israel is thirsty. And the people strove with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up? Brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there. And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us unto this evil place? It is a place of no seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, you and Aaron, your brother, and speak to the rock before their eyes and it shall give forth his water. And you shall bring forth to them water out of the rock. So you shall give the congregation and their beast drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now you rebels. I mean... This is a man pastoring this people for 38 years. And at the end of 38 years, that's the way he feels about them. You rebels. I've, I've been here for 36. I'm not saying anymore. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand 
And with his rod, he smote the rock twice. What did God tell him to do? Speak to it. But he smote it. The water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Now listen to this. Why did they not enter into the promised land? Unbelief. Unbelief. And here's Moses in a state of unbelief. And he does something that strikes the type in an inappropriate manner. Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. And that's a pretty severe judgment of God on Moses. But there's a couple of things that have happened here. Number one, the rock is Christ. And it's a type of Christ. And he is not to be punished or put to death but that one time. And now when we speak to him, everything in him is yes and amen. You just speak to the Lord. You can't work these things out of Jesus. And God said to Moses, because you didn't believe me, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. What would have happened had Moses gone to the rock, spoke to it, water would have come out. What might have happened to the congregation of Israel had they seen that wonder? And we don't know. Because Moses didn't do it. And he didn't sanctify the people or God before the people. And so all of these years, Moses is ministering and preaching to the people of Israel. And of all the things, he leads them over 38 years to a place that his congregation says, you've brought us to an evil place. They have lived in nothing but frustration. They have despised their leader and their leader has become so frustrated with him, with them that the best he can do towards the end of his pastorate is just say to them, you're just a bunch of rebels. And the reason is, is that Moses could not get them there. He had no ability to get them there and they could not get themselves there. And the people in the wilderness are always of this sort. Imagine it. Maybe if I move, life will be better. You know, if we were here, if we were there, if we would have never left, if we would have stayed where we were. Let me say this. People of the wilderness are there because they have the heart of the wilderness. They have the faith of the wilderness. They don't have the faith of the promised land. And people that have the heart of a wilderness and the faith of a wilderness, they live their life in a wilderness. They are Christians who could be living in the promised land. And the promised land is not heaven. The promised land is the fullness of God. But Christians don't live there. The majority of Christians don't live there. The majority of Christians live in the wilderness. The majority of Christians do not live in the fullness of the Holy Ghost. The majority of Christians, maybe a lot of Pentecostals can speak in tongues, but they know nothing of the joy of the Lord. They know nothing of the fullness of God. They know nothing of the power of God. They've had experiences that that were far and few between, but they know the wilderness really, really well. And if I can make this move or if I can get this job or maybe I could become a pastor there then I'd be happy again and it's just not true because the wilderness is your heart and it's your faith and we have to have the faith to get us to the promised land the faith to feast upon Jesus Christ in our life all of the times of our life 
And so all Moses could tell them of was a better life. There's a better way. There's a better life. There's a better promise. There's a better hope. There is a promised land. There's something better than the wilderness. There's something better than depression. There's something better than despair. There's something better than addiction. There's something better than defeat. There's something better than sadness. There's something better than sickness. But I can't get you there. And all he did was preach to them for 38 years about a promised land that was better than the wilderness, but he could never bring them into the promised land. And such are the preachers of Moses, and such are the followers of Moses. They will not go into the promised land because of unbelief. They will live in Cain, in the wilderness and die in the wilderness and bury their churches in the wilderness because they cannot get into the promised land. All Moses could do was talk about what is there, but he could not get them there. He spent his whole life calling them to repentance. Every message he preached caused them to fall upon their faces and weep in repentance. Only to continue the cycle week after week after week. Which seems to be the condition in a lot of churches across America today. Is that the preachers have an ability to preach us to uh, condemnation if you will. Not conviction because wherever the Holy Spirit is there's going to be deep conviction. And repentance, but joy and happiness in the Holy Spirit. But all Moses could do was to preach to them these things of, of sadness and repentance and failure and try better and do better and walk harder and, but yet he could never get them there. In all of his efforts, he could never get them there. And all Moses could say to the congregation, which he was so well acquainted with towards the end of his life is, here now, you rebels. Must we fetch water out of this rock for you? And the trouble with Moses is he left Jesus on the cross. He left him on the cross. A stricken Savior who needs to be smitten again and again and again in order to get the provisions out of him. And that is all too common. The symbol and the glory of the Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, he was crucified, but his crucifixion is validated by his resurrection. And his resurrection is testified to by his ascension, which is proclaimed by the coming of the Holy Spirit into this world to bear witness to all men that Jesus Christ can do what Moses could not do. He can get you there. Jesus can bring you there, and Moses could not. Moses preached his people to tears again and again, but Jesus preaches his people to joy and gladness and happiness. And that's what he wants to preach into our lives. And I don't have time. I'm going to have to kind of conclude here because I'm in a pivotal state right here in my message, and I don't have enough time to get into it. So I'm just going to kind of stop Just about here, I want to give you this one last thing. You can study it yourself because this is common of Moses and it's common of the preachers of Moses. And I'm talking about Moses still has preachers today in pulpits everywhere. And it is this, if you will read in the book of Numbers where we left off, Moses does an amazing thing. He tries to draw up a compromise with Edom. And do you all remember who Edom is? You remember that Edom is Esau? And do you remember that Edom is Amalek? And do you remember that God says, I am at war with Amalek forever? Because Amalek is the type of the flesh. 
And Esau is the type of the flesh. And after all of this ground that has been gained, Moses strikes up a compromise or an intended compromise with Edom. We need passage through your land. We need to cooperate with you. We need to compromise with you. We need your help. We won't take anything that is of yours. We'll walk right through your land, but we need your help in order to get there. As a type of the flesh, that is what the preachers of Moses do in the pulpits all across America. As we try to get the help of the flesh, that God says, I'm at war with it. And I'll make no compromise with it. And Edom responds to Moses that we will not help you. We will fight you. We are going to war against you. And they come out with a very vast array of, of army of men to set themselves against Moses. And that is the same thing with the flesh. Your flesh will not help you. It will not behave. It will not change. It will not be better. It will not be reformed. Your flesh is your flesh. And the only answer for it is death. But Moses tried to get Edom to do what only Jesus could do. And the answer to get you from here to there is not the assistance of your flesh, but that which replaces the flesh or Amalek, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory, who needs no compromise with your flesh to make you holy. I will do it. And if the flesh stands up to war against me, I am at war with it. And I've already defeated it. I have already saved you from it. Praise God. And so we're, get, we're just getting into it. I'm not finished with this, but this is all I have time for today. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus, God, that you have given us Jesus. You've given us better than Moses. You've given us a better covenant You've given us, Father, what the law could not give us. You have justified us. We don't blaspheme Moses. We don't blaspheme the law. We don't blaspheme your tabernacle. We don't blaspheme any of that. But we thank you for the fulfillment and the, and of the law through your son, Jesus Christ, that now is extended to us grace and truth, whereby we can be saved. And Father... We don't have to make a covenant with Edom. We don't have to make a covenant or agreement with our flesh. You're going to behave this week. You're going to help me fast this week. No, your flesh is not going to help you fast. It's going to give you a headache. It's going to fight against you. It's going to war against you. It's going to make you lust. It's going to make you want to do things you never even thought you would want to do this week. Because that's your flesh. But Jesus, lean on Jesus. For he is your portion and your life. Christ in you, the hope of glory, your hope, your life. Father, we love you. We celebrate you today. And we give you all of the honor and all of the glory. And I just say to you this morning, as Carla is going to minister to us just a moment, make it a time of prayer. Make an altar. And just believe God right now. Because maybe, like Moses, you've tried to make a compromise with Edom or your flesh. Or maybe like Moses, you have thought that if I could strike this rock again, if 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 there if if there could be an a punishment, if 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 I could suffer, if I could pay for my sin, then maybe God would be good to me again. No, you're striking the rock twice. 
Speak to it. Speak to Jesus. Speak to the Father. And all of the water that is in Christ shall be yours. All of the fullness of Jesus is yours by speaking. Not by beating yourself up. Not by inflicting more wounds. Not by increased suffering. But by faith, you speak to the Father through the Son. And He hears you and He loves you. I pray God's blessings upon your life today. I pray the rich reward of the Holy Spirit as the fullness of your life. And Father, I pray that you would give these precious people water to drink from Jesus today. Nourish them, Father. Fill them with the Holy Ghost. And Lord Jesus, preach to them joy. Preach to them grace. Preach to them truth. Preach to them the Holy Ghost. Let us be your witnesses in Jesus' name.